0: Welcome to Activation Energy by the Chemical Angel Network. I'm your host, Selma Duhovic. In this episode, Halima and I speak with Dr. Rodrigo Alvarez-Icaza about what it takes to build a standalone robot. Rodrigo is a Stanford-trained neurobiomechatronic engineer and founder of Elysium Robotics, an early-stage startup developing and commercializing electrostatic actuators. Hi, Rodrigo. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: Let's start off with your background. How did you end up as the founder and CEO of Elysium Robotics?
1: For sure. Um, I was born and raised in Mexico City, and I was a very curious kid with a passion for robots and electromechanics. Just like some kids love dinosaurs, I just loved tinkering. I grew up, my dad at the time used to be a small business owner for in, the, in the plastic industry. So I grew up roaming big factories of extruders and, and just equipment and, and had that, that knack for, for seeing how automation worked and how scalability worked. Um, I joined the university. I studied mechanical and electrical engineering and got some amazing professors that essentially gave me a lot of sugar, coffee, and, and encouragement to go and, and learn way beyond what the expectations were there. After I finished uh, college, I was so passionate about robotics, I taught myself and I convinced uh, the director of engineering to actually let me teach robotics at, at school. So, so I did that. Um, but Mexico wasn't really a great place for robotics because uh, like labor is so inexpensive that there's not a big push for automation. So I wanted to pursue the American dream and move to the U.S., and I did that uh, through grad school. I applied to a, a very cool program um, that was doing neuromorphic engineering. This is a very deep study of how the brain works all the way from molecules to systems, and then trying to map that into technology uh, to kind of reproduce the same architecture, the same efficiency, the same generality. This started at the University of Pennsylvania in the School of Bioengineering. Along those lines, when I started working on the brain, I realized, hey, I also need to build the body. And that's where I became even more passionate about the mechanics and the artificial muscle and the bio-inspired side of motion as well. Um, I got lucky, my advisor got transferred to Stanford and I piggybacked with him. So I finished my PhD at Stanford. And after that, I joined IBM to continue doing the the neuromorphic work. At the time, IBM was being funded by DARPA to essentially build an electronic brain. So I was was part of that project uh, for about seven years. And then finally, um, around 2018, 2019, we decided that robotics was booming and that it was a time to, to come back to that, my, my, my passion. And we started Elysium to essentially uh, revolutionize how, how robots are built.
2: You kind of touched upon it a little bit at the end, but I want to go more in depth in the personal motivation behind founding Elysium Robotics and what led up to that and what you're doing now.
1: Uh, yeah, the the reason why we founded Elysium Robotics is because when, when I built robots in my early days, um, you use the tools available, you use motors and gears and transmissions and everything out there. And, and you build the robots, and they work, and they do whatever task, and they're amazing. But then you realize, hey, I have an arm that is way better than any robotic system that I can that I can build, and I do not see a way of using available technology for building an arm that's as capable and as as as, as good as a human. That combined with just a passion for for essentially using the same neuromorphic engineering approach, but to muscles. And, and the background from my dad being in polymers, it, it created like this uh, trifecta of uh, inspiration that that enabled me to figure out, hey, you know, if we build uh, these fibers, we can actually mimic how muscle works and and, and unleash a completely new way of doing robots. So um, in a sense, I built it because I want to build better robots. That was my, my inspiration, why? Because I needed to.
0: So for those of us who are not neurobiomechatronic engineers, can you, in very simple terms, articulate what uh, what technology Elysium is developing and trying to commercialize?
1: Yeah, so Elysium's mission is really to, to enable a new generation of robots. Um, put in another way, we say to revolutionize motion, to to change how we move things. We're solving a very fundamental problem of how do you move things? How do you actuate? Um, we use muscles. Um, machines use either motors or pneumatic cylinders or hydraulics. And there's many other technologies, but when you want to build a a robotic system, those technologies have been lacking in many regards. So the technology that Elysium uses is is based on, on a family of polymers called electroactive polymers. And these are essentially polymers that form in some way or another when you apply electricity to it. Specifically, we are using a family called dielectric elastomers. And these are some fa- uh, polymers that were identified by NASA, DARPA, and SRI around the year 2000, which, which essentially use electrostatic energy to squish a very soft polymer and create motion. Uh, Elysium's core innovation is to take that family of materials and build them into tiny little microfibers that maximize the benefits of those materials and directly applies them as muscles to, to robots
2: you touched upon the limitations a bit about current robotic systems um what specific challenges in the robotics industry is uh, elysium uh, addressing and tackling
1: we're we're addressing a very fundamental need of of how do you actually build robots from the ground up like the the robots that we have today specifically the robotic arms which is Mostly the robots that exist—they're a legacy from the automation uh, for the from the automotive industry. They're strong, they're fast, they're extremely precise, but they're also very big, very expensive, very power-hungry, and, and and dangerous. Right? Today we're experiencing an incredible acceleration of artificial intelligence and just control, and and there is no way or no amount of software that can overcome. The limitations of an expensive and heavy and power hungry robotic system. So, what we're trying to do is actually build the robot in a way that is deeply bio inspired so that it can have the capabilities of a human, but also at an extremely low cost. And that way, you can leverage the advantages of AI. And instead of being able to deploy one robot that costs $100,000, You're going to be able to deploy 100,000 robots that cost $1,000, right? So you change the equation and and you open up that massive uh, deployability.
0: Let's zoom out a bit uh, because I'm now wondering what suite of technologies are needed to make a robot.
1: Absolutely. We, we, we feel like it's an incredible time because if you look at all the components that you need to create a standalone robot, a mobile and independent robot, we think that all of them are there except actuation and we unlock this. Um, diving deeper, you need um, control algorithms and AI. We have a lot and it's mature and it's practical and it's getting way better. You need batteries. Um, thanks to the uh, EV uh, revolution, we have amazing batteries that are you know high capacity, and inexpensive and they're getting better. You need sensors, uh, cameras, microphones, lighters, all that stuff. Thanks to the cell phone industry, we have them as commodities. And you need computation. Um, you need embedded computation. And and thanks to the recent advances in in AI and and essentially NVIDIA, is making amazing embedded computational systems. So, and the final thing you need is the actuations. How do you move the, mo- the robot? And that is where we come in. So, so we feel like we are the missing piece to unlock the robotics revolution.
0: So in any given robotic system, your technology is one of actuation. Um, On a fundamental level, what is so unique about Elysium's actuators?
1: Right. So we we started this because our our fundamental thesis is that we will not be able to deploy robots at scale without having a high-performance and low-cost actuator. Those are the, the two key principles. Um, we looked at everything under the sun of how do you make act, uh, actuations, how do you move robots, starting from the traditional um, electromagnetic motors that have a transmission and an encoder and sensors and become like a servo motor. This is what every robot uses. They're a masterpiece of engineering. They're super mature, but they're still heavy, power hungry, and expensive. And, and we don't see a roadmap for making that better because you know, it's a mature technology. Um, and then we looked at everything else that exists, and there's, you know, pneumatics, hydraulics, piezoelectrics, memory shape alloys, all sorts of different things. Ultimately, what we came up with is, is leveraging these dielectric elastomers to, to produce the motion because they had really good intensity metrics. But if you look even deeper, if you look just at the, at the physics, at the core physics, our technology is based on electrostatics. And that is pretty much how your muscles work at the, at the, at the protein level. Um, the little molecules attract each other. But it's also a very beneficial technology for robotics because it means the, the, the static part means that you're using static electricity, which means you're not moving it back and forth. So you use your batteries very effectively. Uh, the counterpoint to that is electromagnetics, which is what every motor and every uh, servo motor works on. And 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 for those, the condom- fundamental physics is Lorentz law, where you actually have to be running a current through a conductor to produce a force. That means that holding a force, you're constantly draining your battery and producing heat. So at, at just the most fundamental level, we think it's electrostatics versus electromagnetics. And that's why Elysium has the electrostatic advantage.
2: Can you share some quantifiable metrics that highlight the superior performance of your robotic platform compared to traditional alternatives? Uh,
1: yeah, actuation is all a game of numbers. It's, it's, it's based on core performance and how much energy density you can have and how much displacement you can form or so. Um, and it's a really unforgiving space because uh, you build something and, and if it doesn't have what you need, you can't. You cannot add anything to it because you're just kind of adding mass and decreasing your, your energy density. So for us, we've been pursuing matching biology, matching the, the, the same displacement, the same force, the same energy density as biology. Uh, currently, we have seen fibers that do 14% displacement, which is completely comparable with biology, and that do 20 newtons per square centimeter. That's twice as strong as you can do it. And, and there's some compromise in that operation space, but in general, we see that they're super fast. They they have an activation rate of about 50 milliseconds. From an electrical perspective, we're operating at less than 1.5 kilovolts, which still seems high, but it, it enables us to use uh, off-the-shelf, inexpensive transistors. And and because these are electrostatic, the current they consume is negligible. They consume about 10 nano ampere, amps per fiber. So so it's a high voltage but minuscule current. Um, And we have a roadmap to even reducing the the voltage more. In terms of energy density, we think we're about 10 joules per kilogram or so, which is comparable with muscle. So so we're getting into the space where we are having the same performance as natural muscle and that enables us to build bio-inspired robots but we know there's way more performance coming out of these fibers as we continue to mature the materials and the, and the process engineering.
2: Can you also discuss the potential applications and industries that stand to benefit from Elysium's high-performance robotic platforms?
1: Yeah, so this is a platform technology that can apply to many, many things. And, and that has actually made it challenging to go on and pursue the solutions, right? Uh, there's a hundred one of them, which is the first one, which is the good one. Uh, we think there's, there's at least two key places as a primary target and, and then many other applications. The first one is just robotics. is being able to build somewhat bio-inspired robots that have uh, one, two, three, five fingers. If you want seven, we'll give you seven fingers, uh, but that have this kind of fine touch and dexterity to be able to process soft goods like pick up a t-shirt or pack a peach or or assemble an iPhone, or do things that require some dexterity, but also in a small scale and and, and low cost. The other, the other domain where this takes a lot of precedence is in prosthetics. Building a robotic hand and a prosthetic hand is not that different. The interfaces and other things are challenging, but, but in principle, it's the same mechanics. So prosthetics is a place where we think we can give the users... A lot of that dexterity that they're losing right now and and also for like lower limb prosthetics um, our our technology has really good energy density and advantages so we could create like an active ankle or a partial foot or or stuff like that and then the other family of applications are more broad it's like med tech for um steerable endoscopes or or micro pumps maybe someday even replacement for some muscles from tama that's far up in the in the future a space, NASA wants high dexterity capable robots that are lightweight, right? So there's there's no way we're gonna be able to b- build a, a moon base or a Mars base with astronauts. We need robotic systems to actually go and build those things. Um, entertainment, um, we think this technology can create a little boss-like year that moves, right? Make, make Toy Story uh, viable. Uh, defense, there's many applications in defense in terms of like wearable uh, suits that give uh, soldiers more power or many other forms of kind of Uh, drones or 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 just logistic robots and then in general automation we're actually getting some traction with some automation companies that they just want this little linear actuator to move a lever or to move a a joint or to move something so so in general we think that if we succeed in many years just like today you can go and buy motors and magnets in amazon one day you're going to be able to buy these little actuators for any for any application where you just need to create some motion
2: so this next question kind of ties to what you just said, can you provide examples of real world use cases where Elysium's r- robot platforms are making a significant impact?
1: Yeah. so we're currently um, still in that transitional phase from going from the deep research bunker into commercialization and applications. Uh, The places where we're getting most traction to begin with are in the food processing space and in the garment industry. For food processing, essentially packing soft food like peaches and avocados that are very, very soft foods that if you grab them incorrectly, they get bruised. And so robots cannot do that. And they also cannot do it at a cost so that is that is a, a small subset of, of fruits that need to be handled very carefully and, and we're getting some traction there um, and also in the garment industry um we we have discovered that everything that everybody is wearing is sewn by hand the industry is heavily automated in the weaving and the stamping in the cutting but the sewing process is still done by hand and, and and they're in desperate need of of uh labor so so that's the place where we're getting a lot of traction and where the dexterity that we provide as well as the price point becomes competitive.
2: In that case, can you share some success stories or milestones that Elysium has achieved in recent years?
1: Yeah, so so far we've been uh, mostly in the research space pursuing the metrics that I described above. So our, our our biggest milestones have just been able to manufacture this fibers at a scale where we have a now a, an actuator that's competitive with with other stuff, right? So it's it's just kind of the materialization or the manifesting the core technology to a practical level.
0: Can you elaborate on the key considerations in ensuring that your technology remains cost-effective? Um, how do you manage to balance performance with affordability?
1: Yes, so we just did a, a scale-up analysis. And we find that the biggest cost is the choice of materials, the raw materials. Um, at the end of the day, uh, the, the equipment to process the materials and create the fibers, as well as integrate the actuators, was conceived from the start using inexpensive, like 3D printed parts. So, so it's very scalable in that way. And... The, the other cost is, is labor, some, some manual labor in assembling the, the, the actuators. And, and as a robotics company, we decided we have to eat our own dog food, and we need to be able to create robots that, that replace that labor. So ultimately, the cost of the systems is is mostly materials, and and they're not very sophisticated materials. They're off the shelf. No supply chain issues so moving forward the performance is going to come from better process engineering and and better formulations of materials and what that is going to do is it's going to further reduce the operating voltage and give you even more kind of motion so that's going to increase the competitive advantage especially at the system level right that, we want to make sure that we create solutions that, again, don't require a big suitcase on the back, but can be driven by very inexpensive, very small, very effective electronics.
0: If you succeed, what might all of this be worth?
1: For commercialization, we see many, many uh, different avenues. The first one is just selling actuators to, to robotic makers and OEMs and people in general, similar to the Intel Inside model, where you just sell the processor and another makes the computer, you sell the actuator and somebody else makes that. That has been really difficult to quantify because we're opening up a new generation, so, so, so we really don't know. The second uh, level that we can uh, commercialize is a robotic system. We can build a hand and sell it to a robotics company, um, for example, or a finger or a gripper or an, or, a, or a robotic arm. Those markets are, are well understood. The gripper market, I think, is like $4, mil, four billion the robotic arm market is like $4 billion. Um, And we anticipate a model where, for example, we can build hands for all the humanoid companies that are coming up. And if we sell them a pair of hands for $20,000 and the company makes a million robots, that is $20 billion opportunity, right? For every, every... And then the final kind of level that we are considering is providing solutions, essentially what they call robotics as a service, where we just go and pack the peaches or the avocados or assemble the iPhones or, or pack the bread or, or sew them in the, the garment. At that level, we're competing with human labor. And the opportunity there in the U.S. today, uh, there's a labor shortage of about $117 billion of, of just positions that cannot be filled. Or there is a, a set of like low-skilled occupations that could be automated uh, on the order of $340 billion.
0: Now I realize you're very early in your journey, but let's imagine one of the applications that you mentioned earlier. How do you scale, and how have others scaled?
1: Yeah, if we if we deploy this via a solution provider with the robots as service, what what similar companies are finding in the market and doing simple things, just like pick and place or welding uh, or, or simple tasks that the current robots are capable. of. What they find is that when they deploy this to a a customer, that customer increases its productivity and reduces its operational cost. That gives gives him an enormous competitive advantage. So it triggers kind of like a snowball effect where the other competitors in that same industry either have to automate and bring it on or or operate at a disadvantage. So it creates this very beneficial kind of uh, snowball effect where if if you're giving value to somebody, Everybody else wants that value
2: in general, what challenges do you anticipate in achieving scale?
1: Bringing a new technology to a market is is very challenging because you have to solve the difficult problems, right? Any problem that has been solvable with traditional robots has been solved. It's done. It's only the the hard problems that are remaining and and you have to do this with an immature technology. I mean technology that that hasn't really gotten the the advantage of Hundreds of years of investment and refinement. So the biggest challenge, I think, even though this is a profoundly promising technology, is being able to endure that maturity cycle. Right, bringing the technology to market and making it robust enough in a production environment where it really, where you really lever, leverage the benefits. Um, you know, of course, the first robot you put in is going to break after an hour or two, and, and and you progressively fix it and 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 get it to the point where you know it can operate years without. Uh, without uh, any, any maintenance. Uh, but getting through that kind of hump and that kind of maturity uh, is going to require a lot of really kind of rigorous engineering and and effective use of resources to, to get there. Right? I think that's the biggest challenge.
2: What do you see as the long-term implications of Elysium's technology for the robotics industry and beyond?
1: So if you look back in history uh, and put on a filter for actuation, actuation has profound changes in, in in evolution, right? When when organisms went from one single cell to multicellular things and started to be able to move around, that triggered the whole Cambrian explosion. Um, then as humans, when we learn to harvest uh, the power of animals as actuators to harvest the field, it triggered agriculture. Um, then we have the industrial revolution, the electric motor, the internal combustion. Those are all actuation revolutions that have enabled completely new phases. We think that this could be, in a sense, an analogy to what the transistor was to the information uh, revolution. This can be the 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 thing that unlocks the robotic revolution. Um, if we combine this this new, if we can really build robots that are as capable as humans and and really inexpensive, and combine them with AI to make them really really uh, valuable. I see a future where where robots become ubiquitous, right? I see a future where many industries over take robotic systems to essentially do all the tedious and repetitive work that hundreds of thousands of humans are doing today, and and free the humans, creating an economy of abundance where we don't have to work dull and dangerous jobs all day, right? It's just that's the reason why we named the company Elysium because. Elycum is this concept from the Greeks and the Romans where where you don't have to work and you're happy. It's kind of like a paradise kind of idea. So humans wouldn't have to, to work. Uh, beyond that, I, I would hope that we can have a um, a robot in in every home helping you, you know, do the domestic chores so you don't have a better quality of life. And and the implication of this, you know, they have been covered by sci-fi from for many years, So right? From the Jetsons to Isaac Asimov, Blade Runner, iRobot, AI. Your favorite movie, right? And I'm gonna I'm not gonna talk about the scary ones because we have to be careful not to get there. But yeah, I think I think if we if we're successful, uh virtually robots everywhere and and even in space. I'm I'm really excited about being also able to support that kind of mission to to become multiplanetary.
0: Can you talk a little bit about who is helping you realize this vision?
1: So Elysium has been primarily funded by DARPA, by a DARPA initiative. That stemmed out of a program called SHRIMP, short range micro robotic platforms, essentially to build tiny little robots that could go and do some missions, um, essentially information gathering missions. Through that initiative, what DARPA really wanted was to develop a manufacturing method that scales the fibers down to a ludicrously small <laughs> size, on the order of 100 micrometers or below. And the reason why this is critical is because this electrostatic technology traditionally required very high voltages on the order of five to ten thousand volts because you have to apply a very high electric field across a small distance so by making the fiber smaller and smaller and smaller you reduce that operating voltage to a place where it's practical. And now you can use at the system level, you can use inexpensive commodity electronics to to do it. Otherwise you have a beautiful solution, but you still need a big box on the back, right? So so DARPA funded us to essentially get rid of the big box on the back and make it a solution. Uh, Currently, we are exploring collaborations with NSF, NIH, and with the UK-based version of DARPA called ARIA, who are uh, very excited about kind of moving this forward, as well as starting to look for collaboration partners to develop the technology for certain automation and medical tech uh, applications.
0: This has been a delight, Rodrigo. I'm really eager to see what you end up building. Thanks again for coming on the show.
1: So thank you so much for inviting me. I'm thrilled to be here.